Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled. If you've got a pulse, this podcast is for you. If you are hungry for more, if you are fed up with the empty promises of the world, Jesus has more for you. We have been called to communion in Christ. We have been given the mission of bringing people to Jesus and bringing revival to the church. So our title, New Manna, comes from John 6, 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Come on, Jesus is the new manna, the bread of life, and he gives himself totally to us today in the Holy Eucharist. Come on. I love you, Jesus. Okay, got some special guests in the house today, Um, but before I introduce them, I just want to say thanks to everybody out there who's left a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You're helping us get the word out that Jesus is alive, that he's about a good work, and that he is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist. So thank you for everybody who has done that. And if you haven't, guess what? There's still time. Plenty of time, just don't do it while you're driving. This episode, this conversation was actually so great that we had to split it up into two parts. So today is the first installment of this wonderful conversation that I shared with the one and only Miss Jenny Punswick and Mr. Sebastian D'Amico. So without further ado, here's the episode. All right, so our guest today, Jenny Punswick, Sebastian D'Amico, how you guys doing? Welcome. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, we're doing. Pre- I'm doing pretty well. Great. I'm doing. I'm doing well as well. <laughs> Great, um, Sebastian. You responded first. What? No, it's not. Chivalry's not dead. Jenny, who? <laughs> there you go. Who is Jenny Punswick? Oh wow, that's a big question. Um, yeah, so I'll start from my deepest identity. Right, sure. is I'm a beloved daughter of God. Uh, I'm a mom and a wife, and I work with the Silos Institute at Donnelly College, mm. and I work with faculty formation along with this great team that I have. I also work at our parish, which is Holy Spirit Catholic Church in Overland Park, Kansas, nice. working with marriage and family. So Donnelly College is that, yeah, tell us a little bit about Donnelly. I'll bump it over to Sebastian. How about so that? Donnelly College is the diocesan uh, Catholic college at in, in the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, and it is a... It's dedicated to giving an education to those who would not normally have one. Cool. Um, from a Catholic perspective. Nice. So it's a really beautiful, beautiful mission. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful mission, a beautiful building right in the heart of the city. And they just built a new one, right? Oh, yes. It's wonderful. It's, 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 it's lovely. Um, and Monsignor Stuart Swetland is the president there at Donnelly College. And we work at the Silos Institute, which is under Donnelly College and under his direction, um, working with faculties in Catholic education cool. here in the archdiocese. So the Silos Institute, mm-hmm. is that right? So that you, you help other Catholic, Catholic institutions within the archdiocese, you educate them or continuing ed or what's that? So the Silos Institute is, um, the full name is the Blessed Silos, Xavier Silos Institute okay. for Catholic education at Donnelly College. So basically anything that has to do with Catholic education, it's kind of a, a, a clearing house for all those things. Oh, cool. But our, our main job at the, at the moment is, like Jenny said, uh, getting to be with the faculties of okay. the Catholic schools in our diocese nice. on a regular basis and praying with them and studying the word of God and seeing what that has to do with their mission as educators mm. and what their friendship, uh, how their friendships, how we, we walk with each other to come to know Christ better. Yeah. Amen. 
So you're a teacher? I'm a teacher, yes. You're a mom? I'm a mom. You're yeah. a wife? Yeah. Yeah, so how many kiddos you got? We've got we've got eight kids, so we've got two sons in heaven. We've got a second grader, Cecilia, a fifth grader, Kate, an eighth grader, John, a freshman in high school, mm. a senior in high school. Uh, I should say their names, John and Sam are our boys. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, Lucy is our senior, and Joey is our oldest, and he's a sophomore at Kenrick Glennon Seminary in oh, St. Cool. Louis. Yeah, so um, Catholic education has really blessed our family yeah. in lots of different ways. So I work for I work for Donnelly, and then we've got six kids in three different Catholic schools. Wow. We're really, really grateful for what's happening there, especially in our archdiocese. Awesome. Sebastian, who is Sebastian D'Amico? Well, I guess I have to go from the from the start, right? I'm a son, I'm a husband, and I'm a father. Um, and then after that, somewhere after that comes teacher. Yeah. Um, I've been married for the last 13 years to my beautiful wife, Victoria, Vicky. We have five kids and one coming in January. Congrats. Um, the oldest is 12, Santi, Gabe is nine, Bella is seven, Lorenzo is five, and Sophia is two. Nice. And then baby. How about that? So, that's impressive how you rattled off all of those, those yeah. ages. I'm impressed. <laughs> nice. Kevin will want me to say that I'm married to Kevin uh, and hey, that hi, we've Kevin. been married for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so take me back to the beginning. What is your story of falling in love with Jesus? Yeah, I'll go on ahead and start. Uh, my, I, I'm, I'm blessed. I was raised Catholic, born Catholic into a really large um culturally Catholic family. So my, my parents grew up in the same street um, in Indianapolis, uh, Slovenian American community. Mm. So uh, those in Kansas City will recognize John Strawberry Baptist. Hill. Uh, yeah, they grew up in Indianapolis. Oh, so they were at Holy Trinity. And so they grew up together. Their parents knew one another. Their grandparents knew one another. They you know, spoke another language in the home. Right. They spoke Slovenian in the, in the home. Um, and becoming Catholic, being Catholic was just part of the identity of growing up. When, so when I grew up, uh, we moved away, but that, um, yeah, that, those foundations of faith were really important to who yeah. we were as a family. Um, we lived out on a farm. Uh, we went to public schools. We went to, um, we went to mass every single Sunday and we were really involved with our parish. Mm. So at an early age, I developed a heart for parish life and yeah. community life. And those were all of our friends. Those were those were our people. Yeah. I was raised with all of these other mothers and fathers um, who were also rooted in the church. I gotta know, do you speak Slovenian? Uh, I remember some prayers and some curse words. There so you go. I can, As get, one, yeah. I can get by. Right. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so yeah, just some really beautiful foundations, a lot of natural virtue in our home. We mm. prayed the rosary on car trips. Um, uh, yeah, a, a lot of natural virtue. An experience, though, growing up in the 70s and 80s of adoration was not was not part of our family, right. was not part of what we did with any kind of regularity, uh, but a strong community. So that when I went to high school, we moved here to Kansas City. When I went to high school, the youth group scene wasn't quite on board yet, mm. uh, but in my high school, young life was huge. Young life, yeah. And so my eyes were kind of opened to um, these other ways of worship and this group of people who really knew their scripture well. Right. And so I became pretty aware of my deficits. Um, 
I went to college and worked at the Diddy Catholic Campus Center oh, at no Emporia way. State University. Oh, cool. I worked there for four years, and that was just in God and his divine providence putting me in this place with some great priests and some wonderful people. I never, I, I was telling the story to a friend and she said, wow, I guess you've spent your, almost your whole life in ministry. And I didn't realize that until she had said it. Right. Um, but it was the nearness, right? And so this was, this was the Jubilee year. This is year 2000 yep. when I'm in college. And um, this idea of a Jubilee year of an intense focus was something yeah. new to me. And um, the proximity of having right. our chapel right next to where I lived and being able, being there every day, yeah, um, that really settled on my heart because, yeah, the geography mattered. It mattered that I was close. Yeah. It mattered that that's where I was going to work every day mm -hmm. and that Jesus was present there. Um, around this time, my parents then moved away from Kansas City. Uh, and this is something that I, you know, Lee, it's taken me 20 years to really articulate, sure. but my parents were very close family. My sisters, um, I had one sister in Emporia, but another sister far away. My parents were far away. Our family was, was far away. Uh, but there was this unity in the Eucharist that yeah. I couldn't explain then. I understand now what that was. Right. Um, but there was a unity that we were together in a really profound kind of way mm. in, in the Eucharist during my time right. in college. Um, I became a teacher. I met my husband, Kevin, who this is when we really began to fall in love with Catholic education because yeah. as he was studying for, as he was studying for uh, the MCAT, he was substitute teaching at a Catholic high school oh, cool. here. And the experience of the conversations that he was allowed to have yeah. and encouraged to have while substitute teaching physics was a really different experience than what I was experiencing yeah. teaching English. Um, and that mm. kind of, that, that unity was there. But, but for the first time I was dating someone and we were praying together. Mm. We were going to mass together and we made an intentional decision yeah. in our courtship that, that the liturgy would be at the center of this. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was, that was, I feel so blessed to right. have kind of God and his providence pulling us yeah. closer together. Yeah. Tell me about, so for those who don't know, maybe like what is a Jubilee year and why was the year 2000 so special? Well, I can tell you what it meant for me in, uh, <laughs> in 1999. It meant there was going to be a really big party yeah. when I was in college on January 1st. And, um, at the Diddy Catholic Campus Center, it was there with Father Jerry Voles. It was a it was an opportunity to set aside a special year yeah. for a, a really intense focus. And and working there, we had lots of conversations about how to, you know, as as Catholics, we're so blessed to live liturgically, mm -hmm. right? Um, to live through these different seasons. And this Jubilee year gave us new eyes to see yeah. things and kind of it within that liturgical year to see eyes. This is an opportunity to see things right. differently and what's happening here at the cusp of the yeah. new millennium. Yeah. Yeah. Would you care to speak into that sure. on a scriptural level maybe? Or? Sure. The, the, um, the Jubilee year in the Old Testament is part of a sequence of things that actually starts uh, with the, the Sabbath. We're all pretty familiar with that the seventh day is a day of rest, um, but that wasn't 
um, that wasn't a sufficient liturgical model for the Lord. He wanted um, something, he wanted that pattern to really manifest itself. So every seven days, there's a day of rest from work, and it's a day of cutting off from the rest of your work so you can actually be fully human and enter into what God has made you for. That was also supposed to echo every seven years. Every seventh year would be a Sabbath year in which there were there were more ways of, of cutting off from from work so that it was so it's a pattern that repeats and then every seven sabbath years so if you're doing the math we're talking about every 49 years the 50th year would be a jubilee year Mm -hmm. and that that year in the bible required god was asking his people to if i remember the if i remember my my lessons from dr tim gray um it mean the canceling of all debts Mm -hmm. that anyone ever owed you yep it meant the release of anyone who was working for you mm-hmm. if they had any debts because that's that's how that's how they, they paid off those debts mm-hmm. yeah um the, the word that's used there is, is slavery but yeah. it's a different they didn't have context. bankruptcy that's right they didn't they have had, bankruptcy you became this family's servant yeah yeah um debts uh servants and all land that was not originally yours if it had been given right. to a different tribe had to be given back that may sound strange, but essentially what God was asking was for a socioeconomic um, way of sacrificing everything that you had. I mean, can you imagine if all of a sudden every 50 years your debts would be canceled mm. and what that would do to the people who were owed the money? Think of what a sacrifice that right. would mean. Right. And the, the bottom line behind all these sa- these Sabbaths is this idea that your hand, your life is not in your own hands. It's in the hands of the one who created everything. And as such, you need to depend on him mm-hmm. for all things. So all that, when, when you take a look at that, um, it, it meant this radical act of faith and cutting away from the rest of, of the, the temptations we have to rely on ourselves. Mm-hmm. So when the church asks for a jubilee year, um, like in the year 2000, what, what the Holy Father was asking for was, a year of coming back to the Lord, a, a year of return, mm-hmm. a year of really grounding ourselves again in who we are and who really who the Lord is first and then who we are yeah. as a fruit of, of who he is. Yeah. And so there's that, a pattern yeah. to it too. So it's something, that, there's a pattern that you're counting on every seven years, right? Right. right. Yeah. And, and I just love this little fun fact for you, Catholic trivia. At the Vatican, there are these very special doors on the way into the Vatican called the Jubilee Doors mm-hmm. that are only opened on these Jubilee years. So it's it's New Year's Day, Jubilee Day, every 50 years. But basically, yeah, I mean, John Paul II, he walked through those doors. He opened those doors and he walked through them. And the, the Jubilee year, whether it was actually January 1st or soon thereafter, the point is, is that year those doors were opened. But that, he, wants, he wants mercy, right? Yeah. Liturg- liturgically, he, it's a day, yeah. it's a, it's a oh, year yeah. of opening the, wide the doors to that's mercy. Right. And so everyone, if I remember right, the, there's, there's an indulgence that's actually, mm-hmm. there, in other words, an indulgence for those, um, if you're unfamiliar with that language, which could be a scary word, especially yeah, you know, definitely. a little bit church history, right? An indulgence is a special share in the grace of Christ that the church has in her authority, has the means of, of dispose, of making available to the faithful. Mm-hmm. 
for usually for some act of faith, right? Um, prayer, thanks, um, almsgiving, or, or fasting, or usually some combination yeah. of all three of those and some act of faith. So, and all that is to say that God is the way I I think of uh, indulgences. You guys have seen people at um, at sporting events who like put the t-shirts in the t-shirt cans and they just like shoot them out to the thing. <laughs> That's more. Or less, I mean, the, there's ordinary ways of receiving um, a t-shirt. A t-shirt. But the church is anxious for you to, for everyone to have a t-shirt and as many people to have t-shirts as possible. So they're they excited it about it. Yeah. They're excited. So that, that's what an indulgence is basically saying. Hey, look, not only can you receive these graces, Christ's graces through the sacraments, mm. but you can do it. We're going to make it easy that you can just live your life. Right. Mm-hmm. Unto, what, unto conversion, unto faith, right? right. It's not yeah. just so that I can wear a t-shirt. Yay, look. Right. It's right. so that I can have a deeper uh, conversion to the heart of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And do the things that Christ asked. Exactly. Um, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. This is, these are not um, optional yeah. aspects of the Christian life. Jesus says, when you do these things mm-hmm. in the Sermon on the Mount, famously. Yeah. So, anyway. Matthew 6, read it. Yeah. It's a good, good little. It's a good book. It's a good book. Yeah. And I just, I think this is what I was going to try and say was the, the doors, those Jubilee doors to mm-hmm. the Vatican are, are uh, encased in concrete. Uh, after they are closed. So they're like, Whoa. they're closed up. And I, and I just love it because they like literally yeah. break open the doors mm-hmm. so that they can then open the doors so that everybody can go through the doors together. It's so powerful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Jesus' arms are wide open. So Yeah, so this this Jubilee year was interesting because it was um, it was the year I graduated from college. Okay. So it became this this kind of way to frame uh, for me personally, this new, this, this kind of move away yeah. into... Uh, yeah, further into adulthood mm-hmm. and and a life of um, a life of of, choo- of my of my own choosing, right? Yeah, yeah. And in freedom. And I became a teacher. I met Kevin after this this year, um, and we we got married. Yeah, uh, we had a baby very very quickly after nice. that while he was in medical school, and then had another baby and another baby and another baby and another baby. Um, but it became um, yeah, and we're not doing it perfectly, but. Uh, when we began dating, we dated with a kind of intentionality oh, right, of right. this is what we, this is what we desired for our yeah. courtship, and this is what we desired for our marriage, mm-hmm. um, in in placing Jesus at the center. At the center. Yeah, that's a word you don't hear very much in Catholic circles. Courtship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Isn't that so? Isn't I, that lovely? Yeah, these young men who are going to come into my daughter's lives, I just want you to listen young men, that you are going to <laughs> court my daughter. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I, I like this idea of courting because, well, first of all, there's so many <laughs> negative connotations with dating. These these days, dating actually seems romantic. Mm. Um, but, a couple of de- but a couple of decades ago, well, and for centuries, the idea of courting um, is there's a, a pursuit in it, right? Right. There's a pursual, uh, and that's how I feel. Yeah. That's how I feel God pursues me, right? Mm-hmm. That's how he pursues me. That's how he's um, He's constantly pursuing me. Yeah. He's always after my heart. And so uh, to meet a man yeah. who felt the same, who's, who's going to pursue me, right? right? With um, And not just with dinners and gifts, yeah, although, those, yeah. although those were nice. Yes. Um, <laughs> but that he's pursuing me because he... he he desires my heart right. and he wants to hear what I have to say. Yeah. And, 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 and the same for me as well. Right. So, um, yeah, this, 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 this thing that's not right. guaranteed, yeah. um, but is pursued. Right. 
I'm thinking about too how courtship is something particular to families and communities, really. And what's the most that's the what's the most fundamental building block of society? It's the family. Mm-hmm. So courtship honors the family and the fact that um, the individuals within the family that make up the family are a part of the family. It's very simple. I just think about like the Godfather. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. When, My- when Michael's in Italy trying to avoid, you know, after he just did that mm-hmm. big hit. Not necessarily recommending this. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying that, but how he courts this one this one woman and he does so within the context of community. Like his or her father, her sisters, all the women in the community like go on them with their walks, but they're like, you know, 30 paces behind them or whatever. It's just this this honoring the dignity and the, the cohesiveness of community within just the community at large, sure, but also just with the family and that we are, uh, it truly takes a village, right? And, yeah. And that was something I, I, yeah. that I shared. It was important for me growing up. Uh, but the way Kevin and I even met, Kevin yeah. was the last member of his family that I met. Mm. Um, I met him after oh, wow. teaching with his brother and living with his sister. And uh, so, yeah, it, it seemed very natural. It, cool. It, I, I I mean, I the Christian word for that is providential, right? Yeah. So it was it was providential. Yeah. But then, you know, as we married, we moved here to Holy Spirit and we live across the street. And so the proximity mm. to being so close to Jesus has been an important part of our of our family life, yeah. of of having the Adoration Chapel closer than Sonic. So hey. although Sonic is also Sonic's close. Great. Uh, I was so, so sad when they shut down this McDonald's just down the road here. Yeah, that was rough. Because going down there to, you know, get a uh, an ice cream with my kids was a, yeah. was a fun little treat thing yeah. to do. But uh, but yeah, that we were that we were that close. So it made it, it made it easy to say, okay, we're, when I had a million little kids, we're going to go to Walmart before then we're going to pop in to the Adoration Chapel. And incidentally, I have a great story. Joey, who's our oldest now at that McDonald's, Mm -hmm. may it rest in peace, um, (laughs) back before when they had chocolate dipped cones, right? They didn't do that anymore either. We got chocolate dipped cones one day. said, we're going to get our ice cream and then we're going to go to Adoration. I think Joey, our oldest son, he was probably in kindergarten and he dropped his cone on his shirt. And then we cleaned it up and then we got to the Adoration Chapel here at Holy Spirit and Joey's face was like, I can't go in there. Jesus mm. is in there. I oh, have wow. chocolate all over my shirt. Wow. I can't. And he was so <laughs> distraught as only a, you know, sure. high strung first child, first foreign Eucharistic amazement. Eucharistic from a amazement from a five-year-old <laughs> who didn't want to be in front of Jesus wow. with chocolate on his shirt. Mm. Um, but that's just a little anecdotal story to, to um, yeah. speak to how grateful we are to have this community and to have the whole world of our families and um, all the families who are here yeah. and to have this, to have Christ re- really be at the center of yeah. it. You know, that that is an interesting story because the um, so much of the modern world um, wants to downplay the importance of your exterior um, reality when you go into a, when you go into mass. Mm-hmm. And um, C.S. Lewis points out, if you really understood what you were doing, you wouldn't. You would actually take the new garment. Like you would take. You would actually. You want the thing. You want to look different. And it's probably most clearly seen if you, if anyone's ever found themselves underdressed for an occasion. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Like in theory, you think, oh yeah, I could totally show up in sweats. Sweats are totally my jam. Until you show up and everyone else is not dressed that right. way. Right. And then right. at that point, you say. I would like to leave this place. I'm not going in here. I don't mm-hmm. want to take another step. And and the um, what a beautiful story because even the five year old intuited that mm-hmm. um, 
that reality. Yeah. And if and I think that maybe this is part of the wisdom of the church to give us this these years of Eucharistic amazement to consider, um, do I really know who's there? If I really knew who was there, mm-hmm. it it would naturally cause, bring about some questions yeah. about how am I approaching? Um, that's worth that's yeah. worth thinking about. Well, Psalm think. 90, is it Psalm 96 that talks about the, the, the best clothing for worship, right? Mm-hmm. And when we look at these four different pillars of this year of Eucharistic amaze- amazement, reinvigorating devotion is one of them. And there are, there are things that as a laywoman, um, I don't have authority over when it comes to the liturgy, then it comes, but I do have dominion over my family. I do have dominion over um, how we present ourselves for the liturgy and mm-hmm. when we do it. The Punswicks are notoriously guilty for walking in and high-fiving the priest as we walk in because hey. we're running so late. <laughs> um, um, do what you got to do. You that, <laughs> there are... Uh, yeah, there are there's there are things that we can do here, um, and that's just that's just one. Something that struck me, uh, just a comment, one last little comment on uh, your 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 uh, the story of your upbringing was, you know, when your parents moved away mm-hmm. and how you still felt that it was in the Eucharist that you had connection, that you had um, that even though you weren't able to be physically together anymore, um, but it was it was through the Eucharist that you still you felt like that you were actually able to. Right. Kind of. And it reminded me of uh, something that Blessed Pierre Giorgio Versati said, and I forget where he said it, but I think it was in one of the last letters that he wrote to his sister um, before he died, because he got sick when he was 24, if memory serves, tuberculosis or something like mm-hmm. that. And he, he uh, finished his letter with, um, I will see you in the Eucharist. Yes. Oh, I was just going to share that story, yeah. Lee. We had a, a group of young college kids mm-hmm. who used to come and do concerts in our backyard with Jimmy Mitchell's, now it's Love Good Culture, but it was Love Good Music. And one of, it really, it was that phrase, yeah. see you in the Eucharist, that they came and played a concert in our backyard, everybody left. Um, and then this group of kids said, we're going to go up to the Adoration Chapel. Yeah. And so they walked to the Adoration Chapel and she asked me, "Are there anything that is there anything that I can take to prayer? And I gave her some intentions and she said, all right. I'll see you in the Eucharist. Yeah. And my family uses those words mm. um, because it, it it's a very simple right. way of getting at this is what's this is what's happening here. And such a consolation too. Yeah. Such a consolation. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that the Lord honors our our physicality, kind of like mm-hmm. what you were saying, Sebastian, is that uh, he assumed our our body and flesh as as well, right? And in the Eucharist, he honors that. In the Eucharist, there is a carnal reality to being truly the body of Christ, Mm -hmm. that it's through our participation in the Eucharistic body of Christ that we become one Mm -hmm. with one another. Yeah. 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 And you might even, I I think another dimension of it that's really important is the, the Eucharist represents and is the integration of the spiritual and the physical. Mm -hmm world and the physical and spiritual aspects of me. And I think one of the, this is like an unspoken aspect of how we think just as modern people, it's just in the air we breathe. We think there's this natural disjointing of my body and me, right? Mm-hmm. which is, is subtle, but you would, this is, this is part of why we feel so not at home in our bodies. Sure. And, and so many people struggle with this and they have such radical pain when it sure. comes to this and and the catholic answer 
is no 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 your spirit and your body are such of such a kind that they form a single thing yeah and and it sounds strange but the eucharist actually is teaching you to see these two aspects as one right. reality because you come to the eucharist and and you know we we believe because it's because our lord said right it's me <laughs> yep. it's me but the and so the reality of that of those words it's it is i it is the lord and the physical reality of what i perceive it's like a, it's like training wheels in a certain sense mm. to learn to see the world right as it truly is and when, once that by by staring and pondering at the lord as he is in the eucharist it actually gives me eyes to understand who i am right and and what I am, and the kind of creature that I am, and in doing so, it integrates my body and right. my spirit together, and that's freedom. Yeah, um, it really brings everything together. It yeah. is the the crux. <laughs> it is the, yeah. the the meeting point of all uh, all dimensions. Really, it's just I don't know how else to say it other than yeah. that. Like that's where all reality meets mm-hmm. and is found. Is yeah. is through Jesus in the Eucharist and. Poof, I love me some mysticism. Come on. <laughs> Sebastian, who, like, what's your story of falling in love with the Lord? That is a good question. So I am the only child of two parents who immigrated to the United States. Um, they, they separated when I was pretty much born. My mom found herself in Topeka, Kansas, of, mm. all, of all places, and she needed... Um, some some institution, someone to help her raise sure. this, this child. And she found herself going back, much to her chagrin, she had no intention of ever going back to the Catholic Church. They were both from Chile, um, so Catholic country. So Catholicism is at, is at least, it's kind of the norm, even if sure. it is just not nominal. Um, she had had a big falling out with the church, but she found herself needing something. So she ended up taking me to church. And so I grew up going to the Catholic Church mm since I was a kid. Um, and I kind of took to the faith pretty naturally, which was kind of surprising to her. Eventually she had a conversion. Um, and then it was my turn to have all my questions start arising in my heart. And, and I would probably say high school was a time of, of great tumult and, and trial in my own heart. Um, although looking back on it, I feel kind of like the, um, the toddler, who's saying I'm running away from home and never really makes it even outside the front. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but still having the, the defiance in my heart of looking back saying, I'm, I'm going, yeah. I'm not, you can't stop me. I'm walking out that door and no one's going to stop. And my mom had the, the good sense to tell me some of the, some of the wisest words that anyone's ever said to me. She said, Sebastian, uh, before you, if you go, you know, right before I went to college, if you decide to leave the church, you cannot do so without first wrestling with the intellectuals inside the church. True. And she she had these names like Lewis, um, Tolkien, John Paul II, and she knew that she could not articulate those things sure. um, to me or for me, but she knew that those things represented something that had to be dealt with. Aquinas, Augustine, you name the it. saints. And... Um, Honestly, that's my, my conversion. My walk with the Lord really became more, prof- uh, became my own. Yeah. Um, at the St. Lawrence Catholic Campus Center when I was hey. in, at... Um, Shout out. Yep. Um, Where'd you go to high school? Hayden. Hayden Catholic. Speak Hayden. All right. Yep. Um, yeah. And those, 
you know, the the people that have then become the Holy Family School of Faith were there, though not it wasn't School of Faith at the time, but they were just teaching catechism classes. Hmm. And I'd never heard anything. I mean, the catechism itself represents a major piece in my story because yeah. I'd never encountered a wellspring of the faith that was spoken of so so beautifully, and someone and, could actually guide me. And through it's it. clear yeah. too. Like yeah. I just to, to plug the catechism. Like it's it's easy to read. And for words that are not necessarily easy to understand, it gives footnotes. There's mm-hmm. over what? There's probably like five to 10 footnotes on every single page mm-hmm. to church fathers, the church documents. It is an insane resource, yeah. insane resource. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and that, well, that, so that component, the component of the teaching of the faith, that was one aspect of the conversion. The okay. other was um, a kind of mentorship in the prayer life, which came through. Um, some sisters that were at the Apostles of Interior Life that were there at KU at the time, um, and then the third component was just the friendships that developed. Yeah, I mean those, and the, and honestly, it's the the sum of all of those things is greater than greater than the parts, right? That, but because you know you could just have the formation that would be good, or you could just have the prayer and that would be good. But right. God, God actually desires a full integration of the person, and and when those things all click, it creates. Um, it, it showed, you know, the Lord just showed a path, right? a way of life that, um, that that's, and ever since I've just kind of continued, you know, one step at a time yep. down that path. It's not, not without struggles or difficulties, but, um, but he's good. Yeah. He's faithful. <laughs> right. And he romances us, right? Yeah. He, yeah. it's this, uh, pursues us. Yeah. He pursues us and he calls us onward too. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's kind of, you know, he's holding out his hand in front of us. And then we take a step toward him and we reach out ours and, you know, he starts to walk. Mm -hmm. Not, he's not playing games with us. It's not how the Lord works, but he just calls us onward. He's like, yes, okay. If you're willing to come, then let's go. Mm -hmm. Let's go. How wonderful. Yeah. St. Lawrence. I mean, Mike Schurzlick, a big shout out to the, Mm -hmm. the good doctor, Dr. Mike Schurzlick. But yeah, he major, major role for me at KU as well, just Mm -hmm. in terms of getting to understand my faith because Going to KU, I was Catholic for one year before I started. Well, not even, not even a full year, like six months. Wow. Um, and coming to KU, playing baseball for a year, just getting absolutely wrecked with uh, everything that you see in movies about frat culture and stuff like this. And just, um, but the St. Lawrence Center was a safe haven. Mm-hmm. And he was there to, yeah, to walk, to walk with and yeah. to teach and, and to guide and so yeah, school face bid played a huge role in in my life as well, especially in my college years. So mm-hmm. yeah, and so you're at KU, you have this this kind of you realize that there's this integration happening, the full human person. The Lord doesn't just want your mind; He doesn't just want mm-hmm. your heart. He wants He wants all of you. Mm-hmm. So what what happened next? Well, um, I had to pick a major. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what? And uh, yeah, I ended up picking uh, education, mm. which. Uh, the Lord has been faithful in much to my, well, this isn't a podcast about education, so I'll refrain from that, <laughs> but um, the, I knew I needed, I wanted to be a teacher. I yeah. just wasn't sure what kind. Um, I thought I wanted to be an English teacher and a Spanish teacher. And um, I started doing a student teaching in that and I kind of chickened out. Hmm. Um, something that happens to young people a lot, fear, fear sets in, right? And... Um, but the Lord was faithful and actually had me um, do some sub 
subbing as a theology teacher at St. James Academy, which had just opened up that year. And the sub turned into a long-term sub position. And then I ended up, and, and I, honestly, when I found myself there, all these other aspects of my life, of the things that God had been weaving into me, mm. really found, it was like putting a fish in water. Yeah. And I found that that, that was my small V vocation. Um, that that's where, that it's, it's in the sharing of these things that yeah. the Lord has given. And so that's, that's been the next major the next phase of my life was just learning again you know trying to teach the faith actually makes you study it more true and makes you learn it more and um trying to teach anything but mm -hmm. especially the faith because right. it's not just facts that's right that's right and it, it ends up being this crazy examination of conscience because mm. you you say you say this you teach this but then are we are we living it and right it's, and the lord is it's been very merciful. Yeah, teaching and leading merciful. is a great mirror. Yeah. Like it just being, ah, oh my gosh, am I actually living this life of mm -hmm. that which I'm preaching? Yeah. So I want to know, what's your lived relationship with Jesus look like today? I know a lot of people listening, uh, are they have families, young families, mm -hmm. are part of a family. Um, so yeah, what's that look like for you? I think that for for us in... Um, in a, in a family, in a large family, and also a wide family. Yeah. Like my heart's kind of, uh, the see you in the Eucharist has become an important meditation for me as you know, our youngest is just seven and our oldest is yeah. already away at college. And so they're not growing up together in the same house right. anymore. So this this meditation becomes even more, yeah, even more poignant yeah. as, as a mom navigating navigating our family in this way. A habit of prayer uh, and silence, especially, especially and for for young moms who think that uh, I think this is something that I had to learn, and I'm still that I still struggle with that silence, prayer, and silence in prayer is as necessary as breath, especially in those in the chaos of young motherhood, mm. um, because yeah, you're not even those years I wasn't even taking care of basic needs like showering and, mm -hmm. and sleeping and eating yeah, right and yeah. someone's telling me oh you should try to pray for 30 minutes a day I'm like you're right you don't know my life. yes yes yeah. um and there were a lot of years of of, of moving that and that, that the plan a for prayer actually became like the plan b the plan c the, mm. um a friend dave staples once told me does anybody ever get their plan a for prayer when they have young kids it's mm. always default to plan b right but um one a habit of prayer a habit of prayer and then a habit of family prayer yeah uh, Sebastian's very wise wife, Vicky, I once heard her say that there's not a sacrament, there's not a big ass sacrament of motherhood, mm. of, of work, of, of cooking, of cleaning, sure. um, but your marriage is a sacrament and, and that, that has to be prioritized. Yeah. So uh, praying as a couple mm. is an important part of what that looks like on a day to day yeah. basis. I think another piece of it too for for a family for family life is is really wrestling with those questions like Sebastian said his mother invited him to do uh, wrestling with those questions with our kids of asking asking big questions so mm -hmm. that the big questions are always in front of them mm. um, that we can have these 
these conversations right. at the at the dinner table and for well, it to be normative yeah, yeah. and f- yes yeah. and for it to be normative because it's really easy to slip into uh, kevin's dad once told us this is what you're going to talk about money kids and money or kids money and kids and that those big questions that god invites us to are a part of a part of our everyday dialoguing mm. Yeah. Wow. Can I ask, uh, what is, you know, you say, okay, praying individually mm-hmm. and then making room for silence. Amen. And then praying together as a family. Um, but you know, also praying together as a spouse. So what does that look like for you? Cause people out there might be listening and be like, I I've heard people say this and I just haven't found that thing that like works for yeah, me. That's a great question. Um, so as a prayer, as a family, because we live so liturgically, right? Sure. We're, we're, we're ritualistic creatures, as God well knows, because He is endlessly practical. Um, our days are built built, yeah, for prayer. Um, so, prayers for meals, prayers or those parts of those those parts of the day. But for us, for our family, um, a big a big piece of praying together as a family is Sunday nights. We pray the Rosary together Sunday mm. night as a family. Um, I would love to say we did it every night. Uh, but we are, yeah, the 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 mighty oak of children's activities. Yeah. We are often sh- we are often shadowed by. Um, but we began praying the rosary as a family. Uh, let's see, probably 12, 12 to thirteen years ago, and it began with another family in mm. this community okay. saying, "We'd like to do this more intentionally, and we know we'll do a better job of it if we're doing it with other people." Mm. So we began praying the rosary, uh, and it was on Sunday nights, the same time. And it was listeners, Mm. a nightmare. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was a beautiful, beautiful disaster. And the the first few months we did it, it was like the dads would stand at the open perimeters of the room Mm -hmm. so kids couldn't escape. And and people are crying. And sometimes the kids cried too. And it was just chaotic. And it would have been so easy to abandon. Mm -hmm. Um, But we kept doing it. We kept doing it. And then we kept inviting more families in and more families in and more families in. So that, um, and families would roll off and take a season and and that's great. But on our street, uh, on this this street on which we live, inviting these families in, um, we would begin with petitions. Yeah which is an excellent way. It's like a shortcut to the hearts of the people you love. Absolutely. Because if I ask my kids, how are you? How was your day? What are they going to answer? Usually fine is like the shortcut. It was fine, which means I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Don't let me in, right? Mm-hmm. Leave me unopened. Um, but when when I ask my kids, how can I pray for you today? I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to Mass this morning. What's your intention? How can I pray for you today? When we began um, beginning with that question at the beginning of our rosary, Okay, friends, what are we what are we offering this rosary yeah. for? What are our intentions? It became a shortcut one on what's on the hearts of people, but two, just what's happening in their lives. Yeah. So uh, you know, I know the anniversary of someone's death is coming up this week. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, you know, my kids are carrying something that sure. I'm not that that they might not have shared in passing. Um, so this list of petitions that yeah. these people who lived on our streets were entrusted us with became something that we could help kind of carry the burden yeah. in, a, in a spiritual way, but also in, in a practical way. Yeah. Like, I know I need to call this person on this day, or this right. person's going to need help here. Um, yeah. And that became a really powerful way to live, to yeah. live in community. Yeah. And so we pray the rosary. And, you know, now my kids are all, my our, our kids led it. They each led a decade, which is beautiful because now they've 
kind of developed a devotion to nice. that particular glorious mystery, oh, okay. which is really special. Um, and, you know, we have anywhere from three to we've had 10, you know, we've had 60 people in our living room before cool. um, praying the rosary. And actually now we've sort of taken the back seat. These other families, now they lead yeah. it. They set the time. Yeah. They tell us where we're going to be. Isn't that great? People would bring their baby monitors. We'd, we'd put those those wooden saint dolls and a big nice. basket of yeah. blocks in the center of it. Um, and the kids would kind of busy themselves yeah. with that as we, as we led the rosary and it was but just practically, you yeah. know, sometimes we have drinks, sometimes we have ice cream. Uh, and sometimes it's like, Hey, I just found out that there's a giant science project due tomorrow. So mm -hmm. we're going to do this in 25 minutes and then everyone needs to leave. Yeah. And that's fine too. Uh, but that kind of community prayer, yeah. man, that has really sustained us and our family and the, the graces that have yeah. come out of praying this neighborhood rosary yeah. are so, so beautiful. That's wonderful. I would say as a couple, um, as a couple, when Kevin and I, when we pray together in lots of different ways, but the way that we pray at night is was given to us by a, a friend um, who's a priest who, when we pray at night, we, we share three blessings of the day. We share two crosses of the day, and then we ask for a specific intention, mm. and then we pray. And it becomes a a beautiful way to not just talk about the same things, yeah. a schedule, a routine, bills, right? Like just life. Yep. Um, but it becomes a way to frame, here's a snapshot yeah. of my spouse. This is my spouse and yeah. he works crazy long hours. Yeah. There are days that I don't see him before he leaves yeah. because he leaves at 4.30 and he comes home after dark and yeah. then we're doing homework and all these other things. And yeah. here he's given just, he's given me a snapshot of his day. Mm. And framing the crosses that you carry every day, doing that in light of our blessings, what I've learned when my heart is particularly docile yeah. is that those crosses, obviously, you can begin to see them as blessings, yeah. right? Um, and asking your spouse to pray for you in a particular way yeah. is a, um, it's a level That's of wild. entrustment and, 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 yeah, and pursual. Right. That has been a really, a, a real That's gift good. for me.